thank you for this evening. We thank you for these that are here. We ask that you guide and lead as we open up the book. And, and then we'll see what you'd have us to see. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Psalm 57. We'll read the whole psalm. We started the first three verses last week. Be merciful unto me, O Lord. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in you. Yea, in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto you, God Most High, unto God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Some of the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues are sharp sword. Be you exalted, O God, from above the heavens. Be your, let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, sultry and harp. I I myself will wake early. I will praise you, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto you among the nations. For your mercy is great unto the heavens, and your truth unto the clouds. Be you exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. All right. Now that one is... Just as good as all the other ones. No, they better. Yeah. <laughs> that one is spectacular. <laughs> See, they're getting better every time. <laughs> getting better every week. By the time we get to 150, she's just going to be in love with them. <laughs> yeah. All right, verse four. Let my soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are sharp and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Uh, David's moving from the comfort that those first three verses had for him to a, to a little bit of a complaint. He says, my soul is among lions. And lions are a symbol of violence toward men. They're the one animal that, well, one of the, few, one of the best, bigger animals that men have a fear of. Lions, uh, if you live in the a Asia, you then switch it to tigers. <laughs> and for us in the North Country, it's basically bears. <laughs> Uh, but lions are those he's saying I'm lying amongst here. lions well, I don't know what we'd fear around here Mojave green snakes is that why when, you, when I hear a lot of times they think lion is that what it probably means because of the fearless and the meanness because in the bible there's a lot of times they say lion yeah they're, the lion is that, that feared animal in their, yeah. in their area and they had small bears and stuff and the bear could be vicious but the lion the lion is called the king, the king of the beast, and it really is. It's the one animal that, that really fears nothing, will take on and will take on anything. And well, I know they say that more than any other. Right, animal. and Satan is described as like a lion, or as he roams about as a lion, roars as a lion. Uh, the roar of a lion is something that you can hear. If I recall from the zoo, they told us five miles away you can hear the roar of a lion. They don't have lions here. There's lions yeah. here. But, but I have you ever heard of me? I've seen one. 
But they're not, mountain lions aren't the same as the African, African no, lion. No, it's, no, uh, they're, they're roar and they're, and they're, they just, they have a pride. They walk with the pride. They walk, you know, there's something about an African lion with that mane that, you know, is, they're proud, they're a very proud animal and they're not afraid of any, they're not afraid of fear, they're not afraid of anything. I like to see them when they stalk. <laughs> I mean, really, yeah. that's yeah. when they're... As long as they're not stalking you. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, they're, they're graceful. They're like... That's, that's yeah. one thing I always collected with all these kind of lions, tigers, leopards, you know. I love them. But you can see that cat-like stalk yeah. in your, in your, in your, even your domestic cats. You'll see that, that prowl and that stalk. <laughs> that's why they're a predator. Uh, what, what was hmm? predator. They're a predator. Cats are a very, are a very strong yeah. predator. Uh, and wild dogs are, are not really good predators. They're just, they hunt in packs and they'll kill just by running things down and, and usually they'll get that tendon and, and bring it down and then they'll very slowly kill it. But cats You're are very fierce. You know, and oh, cats yeah. are very fierce. They, they really, they, they will take things down with their paws and, and they, they, are, they are very, but David is saying here, my soul is among the lions. Uh, it was bought at a big sale. And he says, and I lie among those that are set on fire. And he's not talking about a good fire or even a potential fire, but they, they have a strong emotional thing going on here. I'm laying down amongst those that are set on fire, most likely referring to the, the fire of hell, not a, just a general, general fire, but they're... They've got the evil. They're on fire on evil. Why is the, the, the comparison between Satan, evil, and all that, and the Lion of Judah? Well, because, again, you've got the kingly attitude of a lion. So you've, okay. got, you've got the king is, the lion, the lion has multiple pictures. It has yes. the, the kingly, proud, in charge of everything, and that's the Lion of Judah, and Jesus being being referred to as the, the lion uh, because he will be mighty. And again, it goes to this whole picture of the lion being something you didn't tame lions. The lion was not something you would put in your house as a, as a pet. Kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. It's not, not what you would do to the lion. Uh, they're cute when they're little. They're probably very cute when they're little, but when they get bigger and they still have that wild tendency, it's not the animal that you would have at your house. <laughs> Yeah, but as cute as they are on television, them little babies are huge. And, the, and, 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 they, and they tend to be a little violent as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so lions are this violent animal, and that is why they're being used both as a negative, and evil, and then also usually when you're talking about the kingly aspects of a lion, you, know, you want a king who is a, like a lion. I'm not afraid of anything. I am, I am, I am the top dog and nothing... <laughs> Nothing challenges me. And so, but in this case, this is negative. This whole, this whole verse is a negative point. Uh, the, the, set, the people set on the fire of hell, even sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Mm -hmm. And that goes into the devouring and biting that we talked about today from Galatians. That people that rip and attack with their words and it really is harsh to be people that go after you with words are almost worse than the person who comes after you physically. Mm -hmm. At least if they're coming after you physically, there, there's a 
there's a courage to that. I mean, whether, whether you're big enough to you know, defend them off, but there's a courage to come in, in in front of somebody and making an attack rather than attacking with words. Because attacking with words can be done behind the back and it's slander and destructive. I mean, if somebody really wants to ruin somebody, all they gotta do is start slandering them and saying bad things about them, whether they're true or not, and it will destroy that person. Yeah. Or at least destroy everybody's attitude of that person. The irony is you could pick the most wonderful pastor in Kingman. I don't know who the most wonderful pastor is because I ain't heard about And just everybody see says what would happen and start a couple of two or three rumors. And the people that heard those rumors within immediately will tell you, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. Three or four months down the road, they were able to start thinking about that and not even remember who told them the rumor. Yeah. And the next thing you know, did you know? And they're telling it for themselves for a fact. Yeah. Mm. And that, that is the problem with gossip and rumors. It can take the most honest, godly person and tear them apart. And they don't even know why people are disliking them anymore because all of a sudden people are buying. And what you said is true because... Rumors and gossip are what the Bible calls them cockatrice eggs. They get into your brain and they sit there and you don't believe it the first time, but it sits in your brain. Then the next time you hear it, even if it's the same rumor being repeated by somebody else, it kicks in there and says, well, I've heard this before. I still don't really believe it about this person, but there's another negative thought in your brain. Is it, is it okay or is it a rumor if you tell somebody that it's Something bad, but it is true. It's not. Is the question, that the question that. I mean, it is like if I know something and I know it's true, I will say it to somebody. But like I hear things a lot of times and I know, you know. But is that a rumor or is that gossip? Well, but then, but if it's true, it, it doesn't matter. He needs to share something with you. It's unbelievably beautiful about. Uh, Two, two or three friends he has. Mm, not sure no. We're going to go to Philippians. To answer your question, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to start at verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And now the part that I really want to bring up. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So if you know something negative about somebody, number one, should you even be thinking about it? The answer is no. The answer is no, because he says if there's no purity in it, don't think about it. If you're not thinking about it, you won't say it. Say it. We are called to edify one another and build one another up. 
We are called to think good things about people. And that doesn't mean we totally ignore somebody who is really bad. Now, if you know somebody is going to, you know, they, they said in your presence they're going to go steal from somebody or they're going to hurt somebody, act upon that accordingly. But just because you don't trust the person or they treated you bad, that's not somebody for you to go go after and be able to attack because God's call to us is to think on good things. But, there's a but, but what if the person that you're going to say that that's true, that they want other people to think the opposite, just the opposite. And that's, that's the reason why I say God will reveal to, reveal to people who they really so are. So that means just keep your mouth shut, no yep. matter they will, because they'll turn around. Yes, they'll be turned around. Because they know what really happened, and they don't want people to know what really happened. Right. Pastors, it says, are worthy of double honor. We're not supposed to speak against pastors. And I've had people ask me the same, well, what if it's a really bad pastor? God will reveal to them that they're not a pastor, and he will take them out of their church, and before long, he's going to be teaching to people, either an empty audience, or only to people who, don't, who deserve the pastor that they have. Goes for teachers too. And teachers. Teachers, evangelists, music leaders, anybody that's in charge of the Word of God. And it goes to her, what she just said. I mean, if you know something about somebody that's opposite of what they're trying to project, the <laughs> truth will always come out. We don't have to sit there and, and destroy them because it's not going to be of any value. But, we, but, they're trying to do, but if they're trying to destroy you, and so you have to defend yourself. Let God be your defense as much as possible. Okay. But in a case like me, I'm going to use me I, because I, you can't put me down either. <coughs> I don't want anybody to be guilty. If you feel like you need a different teacher, a better qualified teacher, hit, your, hit the floor and start telling the Lord. And you'll find a way to get well, a Well, then teacher. I guess I need to get prayed because I haven't been doing that. It, it is a hard thing to do. It really is a hard thing to do. Let God be your defense and let, and as Annie said, you know, when I first got married, I used to pray God changed my wife. <laughs> but over the years, every time I would pray God changed Lynn, he would change me. <laughs> so it's getting easier just to say God changed me. <laughs> but, but it is a true statement, you know, we need to be careful and how we deal with people because God is saying we need to see people in a godly manner. We no need to show them love. Even if they're ungodly. Now that doesn't mean we're going to give them every opportunity to hurt us or, or hurt somebody. Sometimes you know, but we need to be in a place where we show them love. And as Andy said, sometimes it does mean that we will be hurt. And God will use that hurt to minister to them. Uh, but we're not to be doormats. We're not to be, you know, weak and everything. We stand up for ourselves when somebody's coming against us to a degree. But if we're not to go out there and, and you know, tear somebody down and try to ruin them. Because the truth of who they are is going to come out. You know, they, may, they may think they're hiding who they are and think that everybody... But after a while, everybody knows that they're dishonest, they're untrustworthy, that you can't tell them, or they're trying to cheat you. Uh, so it comes out in the long run, and God is our best defense. And it's just that 
just put this growing up and stuff, I always, just my opinion on certain things, I'm in the doormat. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of it, and I want to, I want to say no. Mm -hmm. And that's fine to say no and not be a doormat is good. But no, I add more things. Yeah, to go out in a, an aggressive <laughs> way, that's not good. No, I mean, don't do that. That's Loretta in my way. <laughs> no, no, now, as a personal example, there was, a, there was somebody that came up to me and said, there's somebody spreading gossip about you as the pastor of this church. Do you want to know about it? And the answer was, no, I don't want to know about it. God is my defense, and I want to love that person as, without having any bad thoughts about them, and God will be my defender. Now, one person did apologize to me, and I don't know if that was the one, you know, I don't know if that was the one and only person that was talking about me, but I don't, but you understand, I don't really care because the truth will win out of who I am, who God is in me, and if they want to say bad things about me, that's between them and God. God will take care of it. It's like what I said before, God works mysteriously. Yeah. Yes, I have to remember that too now. But you got to remember Whenever I get these. When but, you start seeing red, you go to blue. <laughs> but, it, but it really is something we need to, yeah. we learn to do. I'm going to better. Because the more we learn to trust in God and yeah, rest in God, the better we will get in the, other, in the other areas and the more love we will show to people. But it takes time. I share with people, I mean, I've been walking with God for 43 years and I still need work, but I'm, I'm a lot further than most people because I've got 43 years of learning. Now, and somebody who's just coming to God and getting excited with God, they can't, I, can't expect, I can't expect others to be anywhere close to where I'm at. And yet there's places where I totally fail still that other people are victorious. You know, so it is how God works in us. And we learn to be more Christ-like, more godly. And it takes time for that to happen. And we will, we will get there. And, and then we start learning that God is our defense. And you guys have a great advantage in that I teach you this, so you get to not have to go through 43 years of lessons. You go, okay, I'm there, and now what I'm going to do is learn how to do it. Yeah, and he'd call you on the phone for four or five hours, saying, would you please explain what you just said Sunday night? Agape, and in the simplest, the simplest answer is it's God's love or unconditional yeah. love. But I, I never heard that word before. No, okay, well, it's Greek. Oh. It's I Greek. Why I never heard it. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of it's one of the five words for love in love. Greek. So. Oh, okay. I never said that's something you know. I didn't. So, but agape oh, is that unconditional, objective love, yeah. and I and that's why I want people to understand it's not just unconditional love. It is really objective love. We choose that love. We don't. It's not emotional. It's not. It's not because I feel good about it. It's a love that I choose to, to do, and that's God's love for us. So it is God's love, but you really have to understand fully what that means. I asked a pastor one time, 
what is the name of an emotion that's the deepest, strongest, heartfelt, passionate love? Only it goes so far. He first stopped me and he said, Agape. And do you have a Strong's Concordance? And I said, yes, I do. He said, now go home and look at it. <laughs> and I thought all the way, oh, this is how I feel. This, And I got to read what it said in my Greek. It would be Greek. The Greek uh-uh. This only describes God. Yeah, agape, agape love is, there's really no emotion in, in agape love. So It's pure. It's pure and it's a, cho it's a choice. Uh, and that's why it's beautiful that that's God's love. He chooses to love us and he will love us no matter what because he chooses to love us. He would have to unchoose to love us and he's not going to do that. And that's why agape love is very powerful. But see... It would kind of been interesting. I would have disagreed with that pastor because there's no emotion in, in agape. Now, agape can have emotion, you know, attached to it, but agape is, an, is objective chosen love. I choose to love somebody and unless I choose not to. And that's why marriage has to be based upon objective love or agape love because otherwise it will, it's guaranteed to fail if it's not. I think he was kind of basing it on the cross in the last yeah. 33 years here. And boy, there is no other love like that one. Yep. But David's talking about these violent people that are all around yeah, him going after, and notice this, they're not just going after his flesh and his body, they're going after his soul. And this is where we get the greatest attacks from Satan. Satan likes to go after our soul and discourage us. Because if you get discouraged at the soul level, it's, it's tough to break. It's tough to break out of when you're discouraged at that level. And that's why words can hurt somebody because words don't just hurt the flesh, they hurt the soul. And so this is what David's talking about. And then he goes to verse five. Be you exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. He's getting to praise here. He's getting into praise. If you want to break away from fear, anxiety, worry, start praising God. Lift up God's name, exalt him, and exalt, we know that, that's to lift up. Lift God up. And I've shared with you, when I was in the restaurant business, restaurant management is always in the top 10 most stressful jobs. And there were a lot of times when the stress would just get so strong that I would make, my first choice was to take the trash out because that gave me a five minute break. <laughs> If I couldn't get that, at least I went to the walk-in to get anything. It didn't matter what it would. Anything was in the walk-in. You could come back with something in your hands. And it was just a moment where I could sing a quick scripture, quote a scripture, sing a quick song to God, and just a quick prayer, focusing my mind on God and lifting him back up. If you want to get out of problems with yourself, focus on somebody else whether it's God or helping somebody. And it's a very, very clear thing. If, you're, if you've got a lot of problems in your life, you go help somebody else and you start losing the problems that you have because you're focused on somebody else's problems and not yours, and all of a sudden yours just disappear. They may still be there, but your worry about them, your anxiety about them disappears. So, and David switches over and he says, you be exalted, O God. I'm gonna lift you up above the heavens. Let your glory, 
be above the earth. And this whole idea of glory is to make heavy. Well, is it wrong for me to pray every day for God to give me strength to do what has to be done? No, no. that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer for you because we need that strength to do whatever needs to be done. Uh, and it's, it's critical that we keep that in mind, that, that something we need is his strength. Because if we're not really going to be able to do it on our own, because God is always going to make sure that whatever comes our way is just enough to force us to him. Verse 6, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me in the midst into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. And this is the whole idea of reaping and sowing. They're digging a, they're digging a hole, they're digging a, a trap for him, and people will fall into their own trap. If our focus is on God, we're asking for his strength to get by, we're letting God be our defense, then the pits and the, and the, and the traps that the, the wicked lay down for us are not going to be stepped into. And this is critical for us to keep in mind. The more I try to defend myself against the world, the more likely I am to fall into these pits that are being presented to me. So, but if I'm focused on God, I'm looking at God to be my defense, and I don't have to worry about it. it, it used, it's been fun to look back over my life and see how many pits and, and traps I didn't fall into, not, not because of my smarts, but because God <laughs> kept me from stepping into them. I had a guy here one time trying to talk to me about letting him do something, and it sounded okay in my mind, but I'm going, there was a check in my spirit that says, no, don't let that happen. Later on, my brain caught up with me, and I realized why God said no. Why? Huh? Well, you'd have to tell the whole story what it was yeah. about, but, but it was not good. It would not have been good to allow him to do what initially sounded, not good, but okay. You know, but the, but God had just said no. This is not you know in my mind is not good. And then I, then He showed me why it wasn't good later on. Sometimes we need to just go with that check in our spirit and say no. And hopefully you've been there. Hopefully you got ready to you've been where you've got ready to say something, and and your mind is just you know something in your mind is just saying no. Don't do. Don't say that. I'll say what Magnum Pi said. That little voice inside of me keeps. And I, and I give him credit as the Holy Spirit. I'm not as smart. I thank God for the Holy Spirit. And he'll keep us out of a lot of trouble if we just listen. listen. And then those times when we didn't listen and we get into all kinds of a mess, it's like, wow, why didn't I listen to that? You know, I knew I wasn't supposed to do or say this. And you know, now look at the mess I'm in. And, but the problem a lot of times is God speaks with a still, small voice. We need to calm down our spirit and rest. We need to learn to rest in God's faith and in His grace. And it's not easy to do. It is not easy to rest. Something happened today. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you about it all day because you are the person I, talk, I go to talk to about a lot of things I don't even talk to them about. But she didn't want to hear me But all day I have felt him say, leave it alone, don't say anything, leave it alone. 
and with the, me and the Lord, or the Lord's not, I should say. It's always mm -hmm. pray to me and sit. Yeah. And I wanted you to know that I got it. And I guess I wanted him to know I got yeah. it. But we, but the more we learn to just rest, the more we learn to just rest in God, let him be our defense, let him, and we open our mind to think about him. And I've, I've already said over and over, our first thought will always be the flesh's thought because that's who we are. But if we've learned to quiet ourselves a little bit and listen for God, we'll hear his voice either right about the same time or, or very quickly thereafter if we just have stopped to think for a moment. And this is, this is why I love Philippians 4, that whole verse. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. And the more we're thinking on the pure and the good, the more the Holy Spirit's going to come out of us and the more God's going to come out of us because God, Jesus, remember, said that out of the treasure of your heart, you'll speak, or of the abundance of your heart. And so when, you, when you're talking to somebody and all that ever comes out of their mouth is bitterness and anger, then that means that what they're treasuring up in their heart and thinking about is bitterness and anger. When you're dealing with somebody and mostly love and kindness comes out of their mouth, then you know that they're spending time thinking about kindness and love and God. I'm, I'm sorry to be so impatient, but I left that kind of hanging in the air and I've got to clarify that it was personal and it, nobody in this church ha had nothing to do with it at all. And I love you all so very much. Please don't think I thought that. All right. So verse 6 is talking about... Verse 6 is talking about that whole idea of reciprocity. You get what you sow. And he's saying they're laying nets down and they're going to fall into their own net. And this goes to what you were asking us, well, just a minute ago. If somebody is trying to, to hurt you and, you know, there's a place where you defend yourself. There is a place where you defend yourself. You're not going to be, a, you don't want to be a doormat. You're not going to let them just do anything. But you don't need to be aggressive either. It's just, you know, one of the words you need to learn all, that everybody needs to learn is no. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that or it's not going to happen. You know, you don't need to get angry. You don't even need to give a reason for no. If, you know, and this is one of the things that I share with people. A lot of times people in church will work themselves to death because they believe that whatever needs to be done in the church has to be done by them. And there's a place where sometimes you just have to say, no, it is not your place to do that job. And the way it's said is, just because there's a need, you're not necessarily called <laughs> to do that. And I've seen people burn themselves out in churches because they do all of these things that need to be done. And the biggest problem is, if you're filling a job that somebody else is supposed to be doing, the person who was supposed to be doing it says, well, I'm, I must not have heard from God right because that person's doing it and I thought it was supposed to be for me. Kind of like what I found out when this church, when Pastor Gary left and this church filled it in with the Chris so fast that I didn't even know that the job was open. <laughs> and, I, and I knew from even before Pastor Gary Day left that this was going to be my church. And I'm going, wow, did I hear from God wrong? Oh, God, when it opens up again, I'm going to be paying more attention this time. Uh, but when somebody is doing something that they're not called to do, the person who's called to do it ends up questioning whether they're hearing from God correctly. 
and that's a bad place to be because you got the wrong person who's going to burn out and do it wrong or be, just do it with the wrong attitude and the right person was sitting in the wings and somebody just said it has to be done I've got to go do it I've shared with many pastors one of the biggest complaints pastors have in their churches is that there's not a, that people won't volunteer to work in a nursery and I've told every one of them I can fix your I can fix your your nursery problems in, in two weeks and they go how I say close the nursery and let all those babies come into the church <laughs> You will have volunteers all over the place who like working with kids even that will volunteer to watch those babies to get them out of the sanctuary. I go, as long as you're just asking and it's not, and, and people aren't being put out, the volunteers won't come. And the other thing I'll say is if you can't get volunteers, then obviously the, the, the people aren't called to do that. And that may mean a Sunday school. If there's not enough people to run a Sunday school, then maybe you don't do Sunday school. There's nothing in the Bible that says you must do Sunday school to have a church. Okay? If they don't get enough people to volunteer to do music, then there's nothing in the Bible that says you must have music if you're going to have church. Psalm says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But there is so much that we do in church that we do because it's always been done that way. It's always been done that way, so we've got to do it. And the Bible doesn't touch on it. The Bible tells us to assemble together, and so much more as we see the day approaching, but it doesn't tell us how to do it, when to do it. Uh, I was listening to a pastor this week on the radio. He said the reason the churches meet on, at 11 o'clock on Sunday is because when Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, he wanted to have evening services because he liked to go out to the bars and drink his beer and talk about the theology until midnight or one o'clock and didn't want to get up in the morning. But somebody told him that the Bible told him you had to get up early in the morning. So he said, the only time I, I'm going to have it as close to the morning and as late in the morning as I can to still call it morning, which means 11 o'clock. Because at noon, you've switched into afternoon. And, we, and churches meet at 11 o'clock everywhere because of, because of Martin Luther. And it was first thing in the morning when he did it, because he just... <laughs> That's when he got up. up. That's when he drove himself up. <laughs> but in the early church, they met daily in people's homes, and that would have meant after all the work was done, because they all would have worked from sunrise to sunset, then they would meet in the homes and have church and Bible study. So if you want to follow the scriptural way, other than Saturday when they met at the, at the synagogue, Early in the morning, they would have met in the homes at night. So, you know, how many things do we do that are done just because that's always the way it's been done? Somebody else did it. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's how we do. We, in, in, in the Protestant movement of the church, we, we, we work a system where the pastor stands and everybody sits down. In the Jewish system of training, the pastor sat down or the rabbi sat down and everybody else stood around, the, around the rabbi Ow. for long periods of time. And if you read, you read Nehemiah, they read the scriptures from morning until night and the people stood the whole time. Uh, well, whenever it, it, it's long it was long enough, they would read the scriptures and then, then they would start teaching and explaining it. Okay, so, you know, we get upset. We have people that get upset if you go, go a full hour of teaching. 
And, you know, you look at the Bible, and Paul at one time, he preached until well past midnight, and the guy fell out of the, fell asleep in the window and fell out of the building. Killed him. And died and had to be resurrected. And then, and then they went back in and he spoke some more. Okay? Um, We're laughing, but that's... The sad thing... The, the sad thing in the, in the American church especially is how little we want to hear the Word of God. My dad told me one time that he went, over, he went into one of the stands area of, in Russia. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, they got there at around noon, and they had him start teaching. All they wanted to do after a long flight was to go into the hotel and get some rest. They had him teach from the moment they got into the, into the town until about 11 or 12 o'clock their time. And it was, my dad said it's the only time he had ever been a place where he got tired of teaching and then they went to their room got a little bit of sleep and they got him up early the next morning and had him teach all day the next day most of the world has christians that want to hear the word of god and here in america most of our churches if you go over 20 minutes on the preaching people are like is this guy ever going to stop talking you know, and yet the Word of God is our food, is our growth, is our way to learn. And we want to get to that place where we hunger and thirst for it. Okay, I can remember when in churches they didn't quit at an hour. Mm -hmm. And I always mm -hmm. tell the pastor when they come here, I don't want to just preach by the clock. Huh? Because I, I don't I, preach by the clock. Yep. See, I always thought that, just in my opinion, that you should preach a little longer in the Bible. You only do a little You know, they sometimes add a little bit more. No, I want to hear a little bit more. Then he stops. <laughs> That's one of the reasons that I switched the way we did our singing. Yeah. We do a few choruses, mm -hmm. and that gives me, even if I'm looking at the clock, that would give me 45 minutes, and then over. And I've gone over, believe me, I've gone over a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But I switched it because I want to start preaching earlier. And if God says to keep preaching, we just cut out the last songs and yeah. or well, cut them I'll short. Preach longer and just say a verse or two at the end. <laughs> and a verse or two at the end. Yeah. yeah. There was a preacher I sing one or two songs, not three yeah. or four. Yeah. At least one or two. Yeah. No, one verse. And then he could preach a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I have no problem with that, actually. There was a preacher in, in England, very well known and famous, if I could remember his name, I'd tell you, said that if people didn't watch and guard themselves, before you knew it, sermons would be mandatory no more than three hours. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I thought, three hours? Yeah, because at that point he was teaching four to six hours and it was Spurgeon. Was it the Prince of Preachers. And it's not so long ago, it is not so long ago that even in, in America, the messages didn't, didn't stop at one hour. They went two, three, four hours. Till the message was delivered. Well, it wasn't even so much, it wasn't so much even that. It was going to church was a huge event. Yep. The church was in town or close to town, and many of these people would ride, would ride their little cows their carts or walk or walk and they walked an hour to two hours to come to church you would have your church service and then you'd have stop at noon for lunch and then you'd go for more serve more singing and more messages and you'd go till three four o'clock then they would take their two hours to go home right. it was it was an event 
for the day to worship God. And now, because we're getting away from Sunday or the day of worship is not a day of worship anymore. It's, uh, give me, God, you're getting my one or two hours and I'm going home and, and, and enjoying the rest of the day. Yeah, I got a swimming pool at home. I and, got at the and this is the key that we have with people. They, Sunday is no longer set aside for God. People will say, I'm resting, but they're really not. They're not turning over to God. They're not. And that's why evening services have always been the hardest service to fill because people go away and they feel I've done my hour with God. I don't need anymore. We sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. When that song came out, that was considered a short time for prayer. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to be praying for two or three hours. So this whole idea of praying for one hour was kind of, was kind of a, you know, who's only praying for one hour? Now we sing the song and it's like, who prays for one hour? Now we're touching on attention span. People See, I don't buy into this attention span no, garbage. I, I give you not now. I mean, I we'll get see. 20 minutes or 45 minutes, 20 minutes, and then the rest. And that is what's being spit, spit out at us. People are people are being trained, yeah, and it is more. true that we're being trained by television yes. to have about a 12 minutes attention span. Right. You you have a show for 12 minutes, and you have your three, four to five minutes of commercials. Yeah, because your, your 30 minute show is about 24 minutes long. If you watch them on a DVD without the commercials, your hour long shows are about 42 minutes. And people are being trained to have short attention spans. But my question for, for most of the pastors who've used that as their, we've got to do these skits and, and excitement things going, why are you going to what the world says yeah. rather than bringing people to what God says? Why did, why did America have the greatest literacy rate in the, in the colonial days? Because it was built on God, God's principles, and they said you need to know how to read his book. Why did the Jews, even today, wherever they're at, wherever Jews are, they are literate people mm -hmm. because they have to be able to read the book. We need to get back into this place. And there's these, there's, even in our Southern Baptist Convention, there's this whole group of guys who are saying, we're becoming so illiterate as Americans that we need to be better storytellers because people just can't read the book. And my question back to them is, why don't we teach reading then? Let's teach them to read. Let's teach them to read just like we've always done so that they can read the book instead of having us bow down to their level and say, well, because you can't read and I will agree we have to be better storytellers. You know, I, I, I teach, I've taught kids all my life. I, I'm a good storyteller. When I want to tell a story, yeah, I can tell is. a story and hold attention. But we also need to be teaching these people to read. Sunday school started originally not to be able to teach the kids for one hour a week something about the Bible, but because the kids were working in the factory six days a week, the Sunday school started literally to be school on Sunday. They taught them to read, and the Bible was the text they used for them to read, and they would then teach them moral principles you can in the process. Basic math. Now so, turn to chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. How many chapters are we going to read? You have that one extra in there. Yeah. We're reading five verses. You could use it for everything, yeah. just about. Well, the Bible was the center of, you know, in the United States, the Bible was the center of all learning until 18, the mid-1800s, when uh, Dewey became the 
superintendent of public schools and took the Bible out of the Bible from the church, or the education from the churches and moved it into the public arena. Because all churches originally were the ones that did the training. That's okay. Is he still in here? They're listening to the... Okay, verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Heart here is your innermost being, the seat of your emotions. Our emotions need to be fixed on God. If we fix our emotions on God, we're, we're going to lose that instability of, of the emotions controlling us. My emotions, God, are fixed on you. I'm in your word, God. My emotions, the seat of my emotions are fixed. They're established. They're stable. And my heart is fixed. And he repeats it twice. My heart is fixed, oh God. My heart is fixed. When you see something repeated, especially this quick, take notice of it. If you see it done three times, really take notice. And there's only a handful of three-time places for words. One of them is in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Most of the places are just double statements. But when they say it twice, listen to it. It says, I will, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. God puts a song in our heart. We should be joyful. We should be ready to praise God. I love to sing to God. I love to just make up my own words when I sing to God, which is living crazy. I was uh, doing it this morning because I got to thinking, how long has it been since I got up in the middle of the night and praised the Lord while I went and did my chore and went back to bed praising him and went back to sleep and I was doing it every night at 2.30 to 3.30. And I thought, well, quit praising him when you got up. And I, so I started. And I said, this, I said, Lord, I want to sing a song that's a scripture. This is the day. And then it went to another one. And then I was making up songs <laughs> and the rhymes. And I'm like, I hope you're listening because these are good. <laughs> but God wants us to do this. He wants us to lift yes. up. And remember, we've talked about it you know, in the prayer guide. Acts, adoration. Adoration and thanksgiving. That should include possibly some songs and just singing to God and, and lifting him up and, and just saying, God, you're good. You're great. You're powerful. You know, I love the. I love what a lot of places do. We used to do it all the time in College Park a long, long, long ago. Where's when we get up and God is good, all the time. All the time and all the time, God, God is, good. is good. Do you realize the power of that statement? God is good all the time, and whenever you don't believe that God is good all the time, God is good. Can we start saying that little Twitter uh, that and? This is my Bible, God's love letter to me. I've had to pray about that one. That's Pastor Dennis's thing. He wrote that up, so I, well, I have to think about it. That's how Amazing Grace got started. Yeah. We'll have to see. Verse 8. Awake up, my glory, awake. Sultry and harp, myself will awake early. And David's saying, awake and praise. The psaltery, the harp, the lute, the guitar, whatever you want to call it. It looked like a guitar in its formation. And the harp. And he says, I myself will awake early. I will get up and I'll praise God. Nothing is better than to wake up praising God. You know, to have him so much on your mind. 
To go to sleep with God on your mind and wake up with him on your mind is a wonderful place to be. Because that obviously means that he was on your mind all night long <laughs> because you wake up with him on it. And David says, I'm going to wake up and I want to praise you. I want to, I want to, you know, David, David's a musician. He automatically thinks of instruments. <laughs> he was a man of war too, but he, you know, he, it's amazing. You know, you get somebody who's a, who's a musician and they just automatically think of praising God with their instrument. Uh, I, I have never gotten into playing an instrument. It's totally skipped over me. Everybody in my family plays instruments uh, and are good at them. And it just jumped right over me somehow. My daughter is fantastic with instruments. She picks up instruments and just plays them. Uh, and, but the idea of just worshiping God, coming before him. I will praise thee, O, God, o Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. Are we willing to look kind of silly to some people sometimes because we're singing? I look silly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> my oh, boy shopping with me, you'll know. My brother, when he was, my sister was in the hospital, he came out. And when I'm driving by myself, I'm always praying like uh -huh. you know. And I'm humming like. He said, "What are you doing? Will you stop that? You're, you know, aggravating." I said, "Well, I'm praying. Well, you wait till you." Get home or something else. You know, I said, I do this all the time. Well, I'd shut up for a while and then I'd go up. Mm -hmm. I'm already at home. Do you really think if you want to do what you don't, that's a habit you're ever going to break? <laughs> I do that all the time. And I sing. Mm -hmm. I make up songs when I'm driving. I make up your prayer. Your music, too. You're praying. I and make that? like three or four songs together because I know all the words, so they all in one song. <laughs> And, you know, God doesn't care because one of the rules, one of the rules of professional musicians is you don't stop the song even if you get the words. You just start making up words, and if you go to enough live concerts, songs that you know real well that you've listened to on the radio that they play, they've sung a hundred times, they'll change the words to in the middle of the song because basically they forgot the words, and you can't stop in the middle of the song and say, "Oh, I got to start over." I forgot all the words. It's you just continue and you just make up words till you remember what the words are. Or do Loretta. God enjoys it when we're praising him. And I can tell you over and over again, when you praise God and you sing songs to God, it will change what's going on in your life. You change your focus to God and off your problems. And it works. It's a great way to do it. It can be quoting scripture. It can be singing a song. It can be thinking of some you know, message that you've heard. Whatever it is that puts your focus off of your problems onto God. I'm glad I'm not the only one because I sing a song like this and I forget it. Then I do another song and I go back to the first song and I go to the third song. Oh, I've done that many the... times. <laughs> I, I just keep singing. I just make up my own words. I invent my own songs. Uh, you know, if you ever come up here and listen, I'll be singing along with the radio or whatever plays is being played, and sometimes I'll just be singing because I just I enjoy making noise to God. Amen. And God doesn't mind it. He says, "Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a loud noise with crashing cymbals. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord." Or 
So the other night I was dreaming. Now I'm singing in church how great they are. That's my I was just thinking of that song. And I'm singing that song, and at the end, boy, did I belt it out. You know how great they are. And everybody's standing up, and I woke up. I thought, gosh, I wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> the one you I just love. did? <laughs> <laughs> the one I love is. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and I love that one because it's like I'm going down this road. Yep. Can I say something to her? You said that all the good singers were on the other side of the church. I don't know whose measuring stick you're using, but God doesn't think there's one singer is in there that isn't utterly phenomenal. I'm just saying, well, you know, it's like a cow jump over a moon. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Verse 10, for the mercy, for your mercy is great unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. And this is referring to thin clouds, which would be your cirrus clouds, the highest part you can have of the earth. Those cirrus clouds that are very thin up there. Your mercy is great unto the heavens. Mercy, loving kindness is, you know, uh, not getting what we deserve, you know, not getting what we deserve, and then your truth, your truth. And notice the truth stay, his loving kindness goes all the way to the heavens because that's where he dwells. But his truth stays right down here in the earth because his truth is what we need to be able to come to him. And we've talked about this. It's important for us to learn his truth. Because Satan will come at us with all the facts of who we are, with facts about all the things we've done wrong. But the truth is, God has covered them with the blood. The truth is, we, we are under grace. The truth is that he gives us mercy. The truth is that he has declared us perfect. And even though Satan comes along with all the facts, they're not truth. And we need to focus on truth. Jesus said, I am the way that... I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is the way. He, he will show us how to get there. He is the truth. He died for us so that we can be forgiven and declared just. And then he is life. So we want to be able to look at this. God's truth. God's truth doesn't necessarily match up to the facts that we see because he is in heaven and he is seeing things as he has declared them to be. He has declared his people perfect. He has declared his people clothed in Christ. And we will sit there oftentimes and look at the facts and say, I am terrible, I am miserable. And God's saying, no, you're my child clothed in Jesus Christ. You're perfect. And how many times do we stop ourselves from doing things from God because we're buying into the lies of the facts that Satan gives us rather than the truth? God gives us the strength to do whatever he wants us to do. Always. Always. He told the disciples, don't worry about what you're going to say. When you have to speak, I will fill your mouth. That does not mean we don't study. It does not mean we don't try to fill our mind with as much of God as possible. But when we speak, it is going to be him speaking through us. When I get up to preach, I've got, this, I've got my notes, I've got all of that. Rarely does my, does my message fit what I thought in my brain. Okay, all the facts are there, everything is there, but God always changes it to be something else. 
because he and the spirit are what's speaking and I need I just need to be prepared I need to prepare my heart I study I study a lot if you look at my Bible you see all these words in here where I've studied and changed words and written written notes to myself and then I write notes on pieces of paper that I hardly look at once I start speaking uh, but God fills our mouth when we are sharing the gospel with other people God will fill our mouth I, and I've told you this, I've studied so many ways to present the gospel. I like the Romans road the best, and that's somehow the Romans road will always be, almost always be fit in there. But in the middle of something, I'll switch directions altogether and start talking about some other part of gospel presentation. Why? Because a gospel presentation is four simple points. We are sinners. We deserve hell. Jesus paid for it. And we accept that gift. Four points, then you got the gospel. It doesn't matter how you present them. I like the Romans Road because it gives a real simple one one verse answer to it. But we can we can give the gospel from John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, He loved you, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. We deserve punishment, but have everlasting life. The gospel. It's so easy to present. And I've shared it over and over. It takes just minutes to present the gospel. Maybe, and what they do with it is completely up to them. It's not up to me to force somebody to, to you've got to get saved, you've got to get saved. I'm going to shake you till you get saved. I'm going to hold on to you till you get saved. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. The hound of heaven it was, that he was called, going after you and not releasing you going after you and after you and after you and after you until the, you accept. But that's him. That's him bringing 18 Christians into your path over the period of a month or less <laughs> to give you the gospel until you all of a sudden say, okay, God, I've got it. I figured it out. And if he really wants you, he'll knock you off, knock you down like he did Paul. <laughs> uh, but he's going to get his way one way or the other and and hound you to the place where you make a personal decision again for or against and God is given every chance every single person that stands before God on judgment day that has not accepted Christ will not have an excuse that they didn't hear because God will show them every time the gospel was presented to them last verse thou be thou exalted O God above the heavens let your glory be above the earth I like that Exalted, be your glory. Let your glory, and, I, and I, as I said, the glory. The word glory is such a beautiful word because it means to, to, make heavy with praise. Make heavy with praise, and you think about this, and that really is what glory is. Somebody keeps saying so much good, and and for us as humans, we don't like to be, you know, if, unless we're really pr too proud. We really don't like to be glorified. We don't like people to heap praise upon us. Because number one, we usually know we don't deserve it, that it was God and God only. But the thing we also have to learn is to be humble enough just to say thank you and go forward with it. Uh, some of the most hard things I've seen are people that are being given praise because of how good they sing for God or, you know, and they'll just go, no, 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 it's God, it's God. Of course we know it's God. <laughs> You know, we know it's not you. It has to be God, otherwise it wouldn't be worth anything. Just be humble enough to say thank you and go forward from it. Before, can I say one more thing? Mm -hmm. uh, 
decided I didn't have to study this week's lesson because it was a review. And I've already studied the stuff that's there too. And the last couple of days, I hit the panic button because the days were packed full. And all of a sudden, I knew I had to study the book. I had to study it. And I couldn't get to it. I kept trying to. I couldn't get to it. This morning, I got up there, got everything set up. And then I sit down and I started looking. And guess what? Mason came 20 minutes early. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, God, I am so sorry and ashamed that I thought so highly of myself. And uh, trust me, I'm not. And as I was teaching the lesson, and we was about two-thirds through it, Mason said, hey, wait a minute. You already taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he heard it, he listened, he paid attention, and he got it. And the Lord knew that and needed for me to know that he was getting something. But he needed him to know it, too. <laughs> but it's always important for us to prepare. Yes. Yes, now, yes. I don't, I, in these days, I don't prepare for the 10, 15 hours that, that I used to prepare for things, but I've been studying it for so long, but I still need five, six hours worth of review to bring something fresh. Because if we're ever arrogant enough to say, I know it all, it's not going to be fresh. I didn't and it's going to be old. being arrogant, mm -hmm. but I was. Yeah. It was a very arrogant thing. And every time, if you're called to be a teacher, every time needs to be fresh food for the people because if you think about it otherwise it's just like going out to the food that's been sitting in, even if it's been sitting in a refrigerator for for a week or two and taking it out and say okay here's your food <laughs> you know it just doesn't taste as good it's not it may still be nutritious it may even still be good but it it needs to be fresh and we always need to be digging into god's word and looking for fresh food and the, the second thing to bring out is we also need to be learning to get into it for ourselves. Because I can, I can preach a good message and I can listen to all these messages on the radio and all this stuff that is good messages, good teaching, but it's somebody else's opinion of what's important in that, in that section. It's pre-digested food, if you want to think about it. It's the mama bird feeding the, feeding the worm to the, to the chick, the, to the chick. You know, it's good food, it's nutritious, but it's not the same as the bird going out and getting its own food. Mm -hmm. And getting, the, getting the same, same worm, but it's not crushed up and, and, and just the, but it's important for us to get into God's word and, and study for ourselves. And this is one thing that pastors oftentimes forget. They've got to study for themselves. They can't just be studying for their delivering of messages. They've got to learn stuff that is just for them. And there are many times when I study and it's just for me. It's not because I'm studying the book that I'm getting ready to teach or the message that I'm teaching. It's just for me. And even when I'm studying for you all, there's lots that I study that is for me and not for, not for everybody else. And it's like, wow, God, that's wonderful. You know, but it's not for general delivery, but God is putting something in my soul. And we all need to be that way. We all need to get to the place where we go beyond just the reading. We get into the study. And eventually I am going to do how to study the Bible up here because it's a, it's a good course of any, you know, that get people into it, the, you know, teach ways to study the Bible. Oh, I, I got to tell you, if he doesn't do it, it's exciting, it's fun, 
whoa, I didn't know that. I don't, I lost count of how many times I said, I didn't know that in one night, much less the whole thing. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask that you help us to learn to exalt you, to love you, to rest in your love, to guide, let you guide us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.